0: compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Right there it clarifies how he's having to vindicate his apostleship. Notice in verse number 12, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now you can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. And we'll look at this age-old message that I know that every preacher has preached from, but I want us to examine this tonight, truth concerning the thorn. I don't know if we can say that everybody has a thorn in their life or not, but I am sure this, the Apostle Paul had a thorn that was given to him in the flesh. And the Bible tells us exactly what it was. The Bible said it was the messenger of Satan that, that was sent to buffet him. Now, in what way the messenger of Satan buffeted him, there's much controversy and there's a lot of argument about it. Many believe that it was through Paul's poor eyesight. Many believe that he was almost almost blind. And I'll not argue that, but I do know God allowed the messenger of Satan to come and God gave that to Paul. It was given to him, and he suffered for 14 long years before he ever told this. It's in chapter number 12 that he reveals what had been tagging along with him for 14 years. And as we look at this, I believe that what we're looking at tonight is a very faint reflection of the same experience that happened to our Lord. I said a faint, a very faint example, an experience of what happened to our Lord. Can't you hear our Lord in Luke twenty-two forty-two 42, when Jesus cried, Father, he said, let this cup pass from me. Three times he prayed about that, and thrice the Apostle Paul prayed about the thorn. But finally, in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord stopped praying and received, as it were, the cup from the hand of God Almighty. And in that cup, I believe there was the sins of all humanity. And He drank the cup to its bitter dredges. And then all of a sudden, there was an angel that showed up strengthening the Lord Jesus. Paul also prays three times that God that would remove the thorn from his life. And finally, he stopped praying for the removal. And God said, My grace is sufficient for thee. And I'm glad the Lord gave the Apostle Paul this word. I'm so glad that he had to vindicate his apostleship. If he hadn't, we'd have never had chapter 10 and chapter 11 and chapter number 12 that deals primarily with that. And he revealed to us what he suffered for the Lord in chapter number 11, that And then he talks about the thorn that was given to him in the flesh. Notice with me in verse 1 down through verse number 6. And all I'm going to do tonight is deal with these verses as the Lord has dealt with me. In verse 1 through 6, you see the glory of God in that God honored the Apostle Paul. He honored him with an experience that that nobody else we read about in the Bible ever had. Now, we know about those who went to heaven. That Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. We find that Enoch walked with God. And was not for God to kill. But here, the apostle Paul has an experience, and the Bible said in verse 1 and in verse 2 and verse 3, I knew a man, he said, that, he said I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. It had been over 14 years that this happened to Paul. He said, whether in the body or out of a body, I cannot tell such a one caught up to the third heaven. And he saw things, and he heard things that was unlawful for a man to even speak. I personally believe that this probably happened to Paul when he was stoned and left outside the city of Lystria for dead. That could have been when it happened. And all of a sudden, he's caught up into heaven and into paradise. Notice in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise. Somebody said, where is paradise? It's in the third heaven. That's where it's at. It's where the Lord is. And he heard things and saw things that it was unlawful to even to utter. That's a far cry from our charismatic men today. What was it here a few years ago? I mean, Oral Roberts said he saw a 900-foot Christ. He missed it by a million miles. And then he said if God didn't send in so much money, God was going to kill him. Oh, would they wish that money never come in? And some, uh, listen, dog owner, racetrack owner down in Florida, a uh, heathen, uh, sent the money in, uh, and Oral took it. Can you tell me what a faith healer, that uh, needs with a hospital? By the way, he had a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I guess that's in case their faith, that, that's what they always say, that they say, you don't have enough faith, that, I'm telling you Paul saw things that he heard things uh, that he could not utter. Uh, No wonder he said in Philippians 1.23 I'm in a strait betwixt two uh, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more needful for you that I abide in the flesh. Son, he had done seen things and heard things that were out of this world. And God honored him. And for 14 long years, he's never told a soul about it. But also, for 14 long years, he's had the messenger of Satan dogging his trail. Not only the glory that God honored him, but notice the goodness of God in verse 7 and 8. God humbled him. God humbled the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Bible said in verse number 7, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure." Uh, In other words, in East Tennessee language, uh, that simply means lest he should get too big for his britches. Uh, I mean, that's uh, plainly saying it, uh, that the Lord through the abundance of the revelations there was given. The word given there, they tell me, uh, means a kingly uh, bestowment, to bestow with a kingly desire. In other words, it was the King of kings and Lord of lords that gave this gift unto the Apostle Paul. You say a gift? that Yes, it was. that It was given to him. It was a divine bestowment that he should not be exalted above measure. Now, Paul was not a bionic Christian. God never has made one yet. And God knew that Paul might get exalted above measure and want to strut his stuff and act like he knew a whole lot. And he did. But God humbled him. Amen. Far cry from what we see in some of our meetings, isn't it? Huh? Amen, when some of the preachers, they strut their stuff and act like they're somebody, you know, telling everybody else about everything else. Not the Apostle Paul, friend. God humbled him. He humbled him, and it was God's goodness that allowed that in his life. God was good to Paul and allowed him to be humble. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? Well, here's God's sovereign purpose. It was to guard Paul, lest he be exalted above measure. And the Bible said in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan uh, to buffet me. Uh, They say that word buffet means to beat with the fist uh, or to beat black and blue uh, over and over uh, for 14 long years. uh, Everywhere Paul turned. uh, Every time he woke up, uh, the messenger of Satan was right there with him. Have you ever, have we ever really fully comprehended God allowed? And God called and said, Satan, I need one of your messengers. I need one of your imps, if you will. And I want him to dog my apostle, apostle Paul, the longest day he lives from here on. You say, I'd like to get in the secret place. Preacher, I'd like to get close to God. I'd like to be used for God. I'd like to have the power of God upon me. Are you willing to let God strike you maybe? Are you willing to let God send the messenger of Satan along? Are you willing to receive a thorn in the flesh so you won't get exalted above measure? Oh, the Lord knows how to humble us then. Here's God is humbling. The sovereign purpose is to guard him. Now the method that was given, God gave to Paul this gift. Now you say, but it doesn't look like a gift to me. Well, it was a gift, friend, that helped him and kept him from being exalted above measure. The method in then the misery. A thorn in the flesh. I mean, it's not a prickly thorn like we think about. Most of you know that. It was a stake upon which men were impaled sometimes to be crucified. I mean, it was something, I mean, tremendously that brought misery and hurt and affliction to Paul's life. And evidently, he felt like he'd be so much better off that he could do so much more for God if the Lord would remove that thorn. And he prayed three times. And Paul had a good prayer record, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Paul knew how to get through. He knew how to ring the prayer bells of heaven. And he prayed three times distinctly. And then finally the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul never did pray about it again. I mean, he stopped praying. He stopped after he had prayed three times. He stopped and never, as far as we know, mentioned it to God again. He received that gift. That thorn in the flesh. The method and then the misery. And then I think about as I look at this, I see the messenger. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. The messenger of Satan. And this was to keep Paul from... You say, I just don't believe God operates like that. Then you don't believe your King James Bible. God allowed this in Paul's life. And it was to keep him humble and to keep him from being exalted, friend, in his flesh. The messenger. Then you see the meaning in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure. The sovereign purpose was to guard Paul, but the servant's prayer was great. I mean, he prayed and he prayed. Can you imagine those three times? Can you imagine as he's weeping before God? And maybe it came to his mind on the third time. Maybe he remembered his Lord praying three times in the garden. And maybe he remembers how the Lord finally said, Not my will, but thine be done. And he drank the cup. And maybe that's why Paul stopped praying on the third time. then there came that revelation to him. There came the word from heaven. My grace is sufficient for you. Here's the servant's prayer that was great. I saw that Paul went from paradise to pain. He went from glory to groaning. He went from seeing heaven as it were to suffering the portion of hell The messenger of Satan. He went from destiny to agony all at the same time. I'm thinking about George Matheson, a preacher in Scotland of days gone by. Many of you have heard this and read this. George Matheson was engaged to get married. He began to see little spots before his eyes. They diagnosed him as losing his eyesight, as going blind. And he later became a great preacher in in Scotland. His sisters would read him the Bible. He would memorize chapters at length. And he would quote and preach with great articulability. ability. But as he began to lose his eyesight early on, his fiancée said, I will not lead around a blind man. She said, I'm breaking off the engagement. And he wrote the only song that he ever wrote. Oh, love that will not let me go. Then I began to read some things that his sisters had pinned down about him. He didn't know anybody would ever read this. It was just some things in his diary. He put this down. He said, Lord... I have thanked Thee a thousand times for my roses. And I have never watched thanked Thee for the thorn in my life. He said, today, Lord, I go on record. Record is thanking You for letting me go blind. Have we ever thanked God for the thorn that may be in our life? The thorn. Now you say, Preacher Satan, what do you believe your thorn is? Well, it doesn't really make any difference. Uh, 11 years ago they diagnosed me as being bipolar manic depressive disorder. I take medication every day of my life in the morning and at night. And then just this past year we had back surgery and there's more problems, complications with that. I'm not saying necessarily that's a thorn, but I've tried to pray and I've asked God if it would be, He'd be willing He'd take it away and take the pain away and take away the confusion of my mind. I, I don't like taking medication no more than anybody else. Now may I say this for the help of somebody who may be still listening. You know what? It's not a sin to take medication. Don't listen to these super, I mean super duper boys who say just rebuke that and throw the medicine in the toilet and claim the victory. Won't you throw your false teeth in the toilet and claim the victory? God will grow you some new Uh, won't you throw your glasses away uh, and your contacts uh, and just claim the victory? We don't talk about this. In the fundamental realm of that I circle in, uh, and I don't like circles because if you're in a circle all you do is going round and round, but in the movement that I travel in, nobody talks about this. You understand, uh, you don't get a high off of Prozac. It's not like smoking dope, boys. It's not like drinking a beer or drinking liquor and you get that ooh la la feeling or smoking dope and laying back and man just chilled out. You don't get that with Prozac or Welburn or Lithium or listen all the other f You don't get that. You don't get that. People today are so gullible so naive to this. And any time they hear about somebody, they want to pass judgment. It's a devil, they'll say. It's a demon. Honey, we're looking for demons behind every bush and twig and limb. Why don't we just face some reality? These bodies are destined for the dust. i got news for everyone of you in here. There's not a sane person in here. No! It's not a one of you that your elevator goes. I don't care what your IQ is. You say, mine's 140. I don't care if it's 180. I don't care if it's 380. Mr. Spurgeon worded it like this. Mr. Spurgeon said about the time of the great fall when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, Eden. Uh, he said a sweeter or two or three had pulled off everybody's house. And there's none of us completely saved. Oh, some people have to take medication. For some people, their affliction, their thorn, as it were, in the flesh, is a physical infirmity. For others, it may be dipped I mean, it could be a lot of different things. But have we ever stopped to thank God for giving us a thorn to carry around, to tag along with us? Notice with scene number three, and I'll be through quickly tonight, the grace God helped him. Not only do we see the glory God honored him, not only do you see the goodness God humbled him, but God supplied a, a fresh ingredient. He said, Paul, my grace. Not the grace of the brethren, but that will let you down in a hurry. Not the grace of the churches, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I like this. Here's the Savior's proclamation that was glorious. He whispered to Paul, this Paul maybe played on that third time, and he rested his case with the Lord and said, I'm not going to pray about it no more. And he said, I'm just going to receive this thing as a gift from you. And the Lord said, alright, I'm going to give you something else to go along with it. I'm not going to take the thorn away, but I'm going to give you grace. Grace! Grace. Hallelujah, friend. Savior's proclamation that was glorious. What he heard in heaven, he couldn't tell us. But thank God what the Holy Ghost whispered to him. He pinned it down on the parchment. And we got this. God's grace is yes. sufficient. I like that. I see the sure provision, not only the Savior's proclamation, but the sure provision that is grace. 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 My grace, my grace, Paul, my grace is sufficient for Thee. And I really believe this. We can take the Thee there and put our name in there. I know you said that was written by the hand of the Apostle Paul uh, that come out of his life. uh, But I believe God's grace is sufficient for every child of God, friends. I like the way Brother Tom Hayes worded it. There's been grace for every mile, grace for every trial. And there'll be no grace when it's my time to go. Grace to cross the river. Grace to live forever. You say amen. I don't care if he is working and teaching us some Southern Baptist. You say amen. You sing the song, you hypocrite. Amen now. You'll sing the songs, you bunch of hypocrites, that, that you won't care where they come from. You say, I ain't coming back tomorrow night. I sure I am. He pinned her down, right? Grace for every mile. There's been grace for every child. There'll be grace when it's my time to go. You see here, this, as we look at the sure provision that's grace, notice God did not change the circumstance. And let me, let me say this. Charismatic mentality about faith is your faith should change your circumstance. But real faith, I believe, is this. It's the, it's the ability to accept things as they are and go right on serving the Lord Jesus Christ, whether He ever changes the circumstances or not. We need the kind of faith, and I know this is Sunday school material, but we need the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They said, O king, we're not careful. To answer thee in this manner. Our God is able to deliver us. So whether he does or whether he doesn't, let this be known unto thee, we're not going to bow. He's telling but whether he does or doesn't,
1: he can heal,
0: but whether he does or he doesn't. He can save my lost boy, but whether he does or whether he doesn't. He can bring my prodigal child home, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, we're going to go on for God. That's real faith. I like what Brother Lester Roloff said out of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith! He said that's the kind we need. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, in the evidence things not seen. Now faith, Amen. You see here, he said, "My grace." There's the offer. Thank God. I'm glad this is more than just the apostle Paul saying this. I mean, it's it's he's being inspired to write this by the Holy Ghost. But not only that, he heard it from the mouth of God Almighty, I whispered to him through the Holy Ghost. My grace. God's got grace. He's the author of it. Right. <laughs> Amen. Oh, friend. And he said, My grace, the author. I got to thinking about that. First Peter five ten, Simon Peter said, But the God of all grace. What kind do you need tonight? He's the author of it. But the God of all grace. Now hang on before you go to claiming that. The Bible said, But the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Said, after that you suffer a while. After that you suffer a while, make you perfect. The Bible said make establish and strengthen and settle you. You want to be a settled Christian? You want to be a mature, complete Christian? You don't want to be established Christian, do you? Well, I do. And then you say, Well, wait a minute, Brother Buster, you're gonna to have to suffer. I'll be the suffering's worth it. I want to be mature, I want to be established and settled Christian. You do, God just heard your cry, and he is gonna back up a dump truck load of suffering on us. But he'll not put more on us than we're he goes man. You say, boy, I wouldn't be a Christian. Oh, you would too if you knew what we knew. Honey, it's like looking at the tabernacle out there, old gray badger skin on top. Nothing, man, no beauty about that thing unless you could get on the inside and look around. Hey, when you're standing outside of God's grace, there's no beauty. But when you get in, friend, everything takes on a new look about My grace, the author, my grace is sufficient, there's the abundance. I used to think that word sufficient, you know, early on I thought the word sufficient meant enough for the trip. But I found out the word sufficient means more than enough. An abounding supply. Do you know I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see binaries. As it were, drain binaries. We're going to see massive silos. In my mind, I'm picturing this now. I'm not saying this is the way it's going to be. And we're going to say, Lord, what's in them? He's going to say there's grace in there that nobody ever tapped in on. Hey, don't you think you're going to liquidate? Don't you think you're going to exhaust the supply of God's amazing grace? He's got grace. He's the author of it. His grace is sufficient. I got to sitting in a dark motel room as I often do. And I spent most of my life there the last 25 years. I got to same belief. He's the God of all grace, according to 1 Peter 5.10, That He's got to be the God of absolute grace. And abounding grace and omitting grace and believing grace and blessed grace and behaving grace and confessing grace. He's the author of cleansing grace that converting grace and delivering grace and developing grace and hallelujah dying grace and eternal grace and for 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 reaching grace and fresh grace and forgiving grace and guiding grace and glorious grace and humbling grace and helping grace thank God and infinite grace I tell you incomprehensible grace justifying grace, uh, keeping grace. Uh, hallelujah, I went from A to Z, uh, had myself a time in that motel room, uh, and then I thought about James 4, 6. Uh, let He give us more grace. Uh, just about the time you think you've exhausted uh, His grace, He'll give you more grace. Amen. Yes, yes, more grace. More grace. But He give us more grace. I heard this illustration years ago, and I've never forgotten this one yet. It was during the Depression, a family in South Georgia. They had about eight children, and a mother and a dad there. They had a slat bench life for a kitchen table. And they had a glass. And they had food ration. They was eating what they growed off the farm. And they had a glass with lines drawn around it. They had a straw stuck in that glass of milk. What you did, you drank to the next line. You give it to your sibling, your brother, your sister. They were having to ration the milk, as it were. One day, the littlest girl in that family got sick. I mean, deathly sick. And they called for the doctor. And the doctor said, we need to take her to the hospital. We need to put her in a ward. We need to run some tests on her. And they did that. And they found out the problem. And they knew what to prescribe. And so the nurse came walking in a few hours later into that little ward where that little girl was laying, scared to death. Her mama was with her. But in came that nurse. And she had a tray. And on that tray was a plate full of food. And there was a glass, clear as crystal, full of milk. And a straw stuck in it. And the little old girl looked up and she said, no lines. No lines. And the nurse said, what do you mean, honey? She said, well, down at my house, Mom will tell you. She said, we've got a glass about that size, but it's got lines around it. And all I get to drink is to the next line, but I don't see no lines. And the nurse went to crying. And the nurse said, honey, you just drink and drink and drink. And if you drink all that, there's more from where that came from You know what I believe we need to do? Take the straw of our need, jam it in the reservoir of God's grace, turn the spigot on, and drink, and drink, and drink, and drink. There'll be more from where that comes from. God's not going to run out of grace. There'll be grace all the way to the house. Yeah, you say, can you do that again with the help of the Holy Ghost? Sure, the the author of my grace, the abundance is sufficient. Hasn't it been sufficient, church? Preachers, has has it not been sufficient? Our grace is sufficient for thee. There's the applicant. Honey, it's sufficient for me. It's sufficient for you. You say, Brother Buster, you never had what I've had. I may not have. I may have never been through the valley, the trial, the testing that you're going through. But I've had my share of a few of them. I've been so low that I didn't think I was going to make it. Didn't think I was going to make it out of there. That dark hole of depression. I've been up for as many as four days, my mind running wide open with manic depressive disorder. thousand thoughts running through my mind. Couldn't sleep. Less than four hours sleep in four days. I know what it is to think your head's going to blow off the top of your shoulder. And I know what it is to be so far down you don't think you're ever going to get back up. I've been there a time or two. I've had a little share of pain. Not much. I hope I don't have to stand by the Apostle Paul to judge me, see, or David Brainerd, or some of these other men that we've read about and know about. But listen, His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for thee, Mother. It's sufficient for thee, teenager. It's sufficient for us to live for Christ in 2002. Whoever thought we'd be here in 2002, what you going to do in 2002? Going to try to keep on living for God. Keep on believing this blessed book. You say you believe He's going to come. Oh, I believe everything's lining up. It's looking good for the home team. Honey, I mean Pakistan and India over there and both of them got nuclear arms and they're fussing and they're carrying on and it looks to me like everything's aligning up. Praise God. It wouldn't make no difference to me if I went to heaven from Canapolis or wherever we are right here on the side of the road in God's meeting house. I'd just soon go from here and drive back home. His grace is sufficient. But then notice now, stay with me right here, the suffering paradox. The Savior's proclamation that was glorious. Paul! My grace! and Then, you see, the sheer promise is sufficient for thee. But here is the suffering paradox. The Bible said that makes this is the gold of God. I tear these outlines up when I try to preach. can't even read them when I get to go and sweat and get some eyes. But verse 9, God said, For my strength is made perfect in... There's a two-letter word that's got a lot of weight to it. In weakness. You know how we think? We think God's strength is made perfect when we're on top of the mountain. We think God's strength is made perfect when we bought us a brand new car or a brand new house, or or when we when we feel Jesus measles running all over us. But God said, "My great," He said, "My strength is made perfect in weakness." In weakness, an illustration that I see here: Paul went from the severest pressure to the sweetest presence. He realized, though he was weak in body, he was strong in the Lord. And when you think you're strong in the Lord, you're probably weak. And when you feel like you're weak in the Lord, you're probably the strongest. That's a paradox. And here's the satisfied purpose that brought gladness verse 9 and 10. He said, most gladly, therefore. You see, that word, most gladly, they tell me, carries the idea to think well of. Well, I'd rather glory. What are you going to glory in, Paul? Boy, I wish the psychiatrist could hook up with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> what are you glory in, Paul? Uh, you glory in golf? You glory in the new house? You glory in your ministry? What do you glory in? He said, I glory uh, in, uh, I take pleasure, and I glory in, uh, in five Do what? infirmities, it means feebleness of body and malady and disease and sickness. I glory in reproaches. I glory in necessities and in persecution and in distress. He said, for when I am weak, then am I strong. It's the suffering paradox that's God's goal to bring us in the likeness of Christ. Did you see what he said? I take pleasure in. Not out of it, but when I'm in it. Now, Paul's a little further along, a whole lot further along than I'll ever hope to be. It's hard to glory when you're in it. When you're down there at the bottom of depression and try to glory in that. Or when that that doctor sticks that knife in your back. Or when you come out paralyzed. Or when you lose your eyesight. Or when you begin to lose your mind. It's hard to glo- Hey, some of these things make for easy preaching and hard living. Come on now, you say, man. This can become a coward's castle where you can preach things to the people of God that even you yourself are not capable of doing. I know the Bible said in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I know what's in there. I know Romans 828's in there. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to His purpose. And that's easy to read and quote, sometimes hard to live in. But it's still true. It's still true. You ever been so far down all you could do? You couldn't even, you couldn't pray. like. You, but you were really praying. You couldn't pray like you wanted to pray, but you were really praying and didn't even know it. All you could do was get in there and lay in the carpet of your study and say, Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm glad the Holy Ghost knows what oh, God means. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we got an intercessor on the inside that, that takes it to our great high priest, and he reveals it to the Father. So this is what they're saying. I'm glad that Gabriel. I'm glad that Michael. I'm glad that I'm glad that no angel is my great high priest, because they cannot be touched with the a feeling, a feeling of infirmities like our Lord can. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Come with me to Romans a minute. That's that Romans chapter 9. We love that passage of Scripture. I saw something here a while back I never seen before. And I know you men have already seen it a long, long time ago. But in Romans chapter number 8, verse 35, Paul's writing here to the believers at Rome. And he said, Who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he begins to enumerate here. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword... Then he inserts this, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Have you ever thought about that? You are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, and anything apart from the slaughter is a blessing. Nay, verse 37, Nay, out of all these things, I didn't read that right, Nay, in, all these things. Now catch it, church. Sister, I hope you can catch it. She's played the piano. She's catching a whole lot more than a lot of you are. May Ian, all these things. Not out of it. Not beyond it. But right smack dab in the middle of it. Well, you say, what things is he talking about? He just told you. He just told you in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, shall famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? He said, "Nay, son." He said, "In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us." I'm gonna make a bold statement right here. You will never know what it means to be more than a conqueror until you do some of the things he's just talked about. You're not more than a conqueror just because you're saved by the grace of God. I understand what you're saying right there, but in reality, Paul said, nay, in all these things. That's what you are when you're in there and you keep on going for Christ. And the world shakes its head. Some Christians shake their head and say, why don't they give up? Why do they keep pressing on? You're becoming, you are sensing and being more than a conqueror. That's what it said. Nay, in and all these things, not out of it, not when you're behind it, but while you're right smack dab in the middle. Of it. You may not look like more than a conqueror. You may not even act like what everybody else thinks more than a conqueror is. See, some people think more than a conqueror. Somebody runs the aisle and shouts and hoops and hollers, and I love shouting, hooping, and hollering. I do my part of it sometimes. But you know what? More than a conqueror can be somebody sitting back there who just lost a loved one, who's suffering through something so severe. You're thinking in your mind, I wonder why God's letting, why is God pouring all that out on the hill for They must have done something terribly bad. You know what Dr. F.B. Meyer said? Dr. F.B. Meyer, that great Baptist preacher said, he said, Philippians 129, he used that one verse to, to write a whole book on, the, on being gifted to suffer. For unto you it is given, that word given again, kingly, divine bestowment is given unto you in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. He said God gives certain people in the church to suffer. It's not only given unto you to believe on Him. That's a divine bestowment too. A kingly gift. You didn't have nothing to do with it whatsoever except cry, Lord, I'm a sinner and have mercy on me. Get your head up. I ain't preaching. I ain't a hyper-Calvinist. Don't you look at me and wall your eyes like that. I, it's so sad I've got to stop and clarify everything else. Was, you wasn't looking for God. Hey, He found you, friend. You said, but Brother Buster, I was under conviction. I was looking for God. I was looking for me. Who put you under conviction, friend? Who dealt with you? Who convicted you? Who drew you? God. God. Amen. Amen. No way to get around that. There no way. Ain't no reason to try to get around it. I mean, friend, when I, you say, "Do you believe in whosoever will?" I absolutely believe in whosoever shall call in the name of Christ yeah, shall. Sure, I do. But you didn't have much to do with it. He took the initiative. He found you. He enlightened you. He awakened you. You were dead trespasses and insults. yeah right. But thank God, just like that blind person that's talking about, yeah. Jesus came by. Yeah, Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Some people accuse me of making too much of God. I don't know how you can make too much of God. <laughs> I don't know. How, you say, and I use that word frequently, and I use it very relaxed. Sovereignty. They told me a long time ago that word sovereignty is going to drive you crazy. It's the sovereign power of God. It's me to get beholding just a glimpse, a little bit of the glimpse of the sovereignty of God that's kept me from going crazy, friend. He's in control. He's God. Amen. Amen. Don't make me bogged down right here. You ever seen, you ever seen Clay jump up out of a riverbank and go run into the potter's wheel and say, make something out of me? <laughs> it's the potter that goes looking for the crow and brings it out of the riverbank. Brings it in. It's a lost sheep in Luke 15. It was a lost coin and it was a lost son. The shepherd went seeking The sheep. Sheep wasn't looking for the shepherd. And it wasn't a goat. You say, you need to get out of the barnyard and get in the gospel. I believe I'm smack dab right in the middle of the gospel. You want to go to John chapter 10? Hear Jesus say, other sheep I have which are not of this foe. He didn't call them goats. Other sheep! This is good for a Bible study tonight. Some of you are getting awful nervous. You look like a doctor standing over you with a scalp on and no anesthesia. You don't know whether ball, run, kick the door down or say "Man!" Some of you are cutting your eyes at other preachers to see what they're saying. Other sheep I have which are not of this foe then I also must bring in and they shall hear my voice and they shall be warned. Oh, Jew and Gentile. Sure, I know what he's talking about. But he went on down through there. He said in John 10, 26, he said, You cannot believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Right. Come on. What he right. And they follow me. I'm glad, I didn't know all this when I got free. All I knew is I ran up the white flag of surrender and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Will you take me? Will you hold me? And the burden of guilt and shame, Lord, offer me. And joy, joy unspeakable. Full of glory. Why are we afraid of biblical terms? How'd I get off on that? (laughs) Lay in all these things. Some of you you thought she was in tribulation right there. Lay in all these things. I saw that one day, Dr. Simpson and God begin to help me. Not out of them, but it's when you're in the middle of it. Some of us are praying for God to take the thorn out. For God to take the thorn away. Have we ever prayed for God to leave it there? Amen. Have we ever prayed for God to give us a thorn in the flesh so that we might be weak, that He might be strong in us? See, it's a suffering paradox that brings about God's satisfied purpose. It's His goal to make us like Christ. It is. Now, I'm through with this. I don't know how I got off on that other, but it was pretty good. I was chewing on it myself. (laughs) I don't care if you've got a hundred gigabyte of hard drive, you can't handle that. Or ten thousand megahertz in your computer, you can't handle all that. The, the, the the will of man and the sovereignty of God are like two railroad tracks. Trestles running down through there. You stand up, I live behind the side of the railroad tracks. You could spit with a good wind and hit the railroad tracks in my house. And I'm gonna tell you something. As a little boy, I stood on both them tresses and looked down and they looked like they run together down yonder. And you get to where you think they run together and they're just as far apart as, as they was when you got down there. And you look back up there where you're standing there, and they look like they run together. I like what Brother D. L. Moody said. Would you take what Brother D. L. Moody said? He's pretty balanced, wasn't he? Mr. D.L. Moody, in one of his books that I read, one of his sermons, he said, when you get to heaven, he said, it may say etched on the outside of one of the twelve gates, four to east, west, north, and south. He said, it may say etched in one of those gates, it may say whosoever will, let him come. And when you walk through that gate and get on the inside, he said, you may look back and it says, chosen in Him from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. I'm just glad to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad I'm in I'm glad he paid me a visit, friend. I'm glad he passed by my way one night and said, hey there. That's what Brother LeVon Boatner said, hey there. Oh, Lord, right. I'm glad he passed by and extended a hand of mercy and grace and lifted me out of that horrible pit. Amen. Truth concerning the Ford. Christmas has just come and gone. I hope you got a gift. I do, I really do. I hope you got a present. I meet these super, super, super spiritual Christians who hate Christmas. I kind of got over that about ten years ago. (laughs) And I kind of like Christmas time myself. I don't think he was born in the month of December. I know a little bit more than you think. I might know a tad bit more, not much anyway. No, but I tell you what, I enjoy the Christmas time. Sometimes, you know, as as a parent, I'll buy my children what I think they need. Socks and Beck dresses and John old blue jeans and, and suits, a couple of suits this past Christmas. You know what? If I got a pocket knife in there, he shouts. But if he's got a pair of socks, he about weeps. <laughs> if I buy Beck a diamond, she shouts. But if she gets, you know, some, well, I'm trying to be discreet, a dress, pantyhose, or something like that, you know, she about cries because it's not a diamond. But you see, as a parent, I know what things are necessary. And if i got that much sense as a parent, how much more does our Heavenly Father know what's necessary to give us in our lives to make us what He wants us to be? i close with this. You've probably read this if you've done any reading behind Watchman Me. I got a hold of this biography that... Was per- I think if I remember right, Watchman Nee died in 1971. When I first began to read him, I thought he was somebody in the 1700s or somewhere. But he died in about 1971 in Communist China. When he got saved and first got converted, he went before the Lord and he prayed something like this: He prayed, "Lord, I want Your best. I want the best that You have to make me. Oh, Lord, I want Your best. I want to be a real Christian. I want to be a soldier of the cross. I want Your power upon my life." within a few short weeks, a couple of months, everything in Watchman Nee's life turned upside down. His friends forsook him. His family broke relationships with him. His, his finances began to falter. And even his health failed him. He crawled back before God and said, Lord, I thought I asked for your best. And the sweet Holy Ghost said, Watchman nee, this is our best. You've asked for the best. This is our best to make you to be the best for God. Have we ever thanked Him for the thorn that He's allowed to come into our life? Let's bow our heads. I'm through preaching. Pastor Cud's coming close out the service. I'd like to ask the Booker family if they'd come back one more time. Place something that God may lay on their heart, whatever He may touch them with. And I trust they'll, they'll know the will of God here. I felt impressed this afternoon in the motel room as I was driving over today. About this message, truth concerning the Ford. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I know there's not room in this altar for everybody to come and pray. We'd have to line up and down the halls and up, down the, up in the middle of the aisle. But as they, as they begin to play softly, she plays softly. I wonder if there's somebody here would say, Preacher Satan, God spoke to my heart tonight. The Holy Ghost whispered to my heart, I want you to pray for me and with me about this. Is there anyone here tonight like that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, hands all over the building. Yes. I'm not trying to see how many we can get to come forward. I'm not into those kind of numbers and things like that. But I trust God spoke to your heart. And I trust that you let Him work in your heart. God, our Father tonight, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to every heart tonight. Bless the Booker family as they sing now. As we give this invitation, Lord, as you give it, I don't know how to give one, Lord. I pray that you'd minister to every heart here tonight. I know there's a lot of men of God here. Precious men of God. And I pray that you'd minister to them. Lord, please help these that raise their hands. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For Jesus' sake. Would you stand while they sing, please? Pastor, if you'll come to the key. Go ahead and sing it, youngers. Some of them are praying. Many of you know that their dad, Brother Monty Booker, went home to be with the Lord just a few short weeks ago. Sister Sheila was there on her knees praying. As they sing tonight, you need to get in this altar, there's room. We'll make room.